Hello, my dark rainbows. This is Trinity Radio, a music commentary podcast that deep dives goth and electronic music subcultures. I'm your host, DJ Cheshireen. In this very special episode, we're celebrating pride. We're shining a spotlight on 60 years of music history created by activists and allies of the LGBTQ rights movement. This includes queers, punks, non-binaries, and the envelope pushers of the status quo. As always, we'll have plenty of music, some Cindy Lauper, Frankie Knuckles, Light Asylum, and more, interview clips and music history, and our first very special guest, Hot Goth Girlfriend Radio from the Bay Area, talking to us about Queer Femme Alliance and how she is changing the traditional goth club format. You're listening to Trinity Radio. To begin our story, we're going back to the 1960s in New York City. At this point in time, homosexuality was still highly stigmatized. For example, 49 out of the 50 states still criminalized homosexual acts, even if they were done in private. Further, homosexuality was still considered a mental illness that could be treated. In fact, the American Psychiatric Association's Diagnostic Manual listed homosexuality as a sociopathic personality disturbance. Homosexuals were banned from working for the U.S. federal government as they were deemed a security risk, and very few establishments in America welcomed gay people. Police were permitted to raid bars unannounced to see if they could spot illegal activity, including homosexual conduct. And if there was a gay bar, it was likely operated by really shady means, such as run by the mafia or other organized crime groups. One of these mafia-owned properties was a bar in Greenwich Village, New York, called the Stonewall. The crime syndicate saw profit and catering to shunned gay clientele, and the New York City police were in the mob's pocket. By bribing corrupt police officers, Stonewall was able to save money by skimping out on meeting safety code regulations, they watered down their alcoholic beverages, and no one could do anything about it. The club would even blackmail the wealthier patrons who wanted to keep their sexuality secret. Nonetheless, Stonewall was an institution for welcoming gays, lesbians, runaways, and even drags who, at the time, still received very bitter reception. And Stonewall was one of the few gay bars that allowed dancing. So in the event of a police raid, one of the bribed officers would run to the Stonewall to give him a quick heads up so that everyone inside could hide all of the illegal activity. But one day, on June 28, 1969, the bar wasn't tipped off in time. Armed with a warrant, police officers crashed the club. In the club, they found bootlegged alcohol and people dressed in gender-inappropriate clothing. Female police officers would take suspected cross-dressers into the bathroom just to check their sex. Fed up with the harassment, angry patrons and neighborhood residents started throwing pennies, bottles, cobblestones, and other objects at the cops. Within minutes, a full-blown riot involving hundreds of people began. So from 1969, the Stonewall Riot catalyzed the gay liberation movement that would extend into the 80s. In countries like the U.S., Canada, and Australia, queer people began to engage in social and political action to counter the shame associated with gay prejudice. In Western Europe, same-sex relations were not criminalized to the same degree, yet gay men and lesbians did continue to live closeted lives due to fear of moral and social disapproval. In France and Germany, there were other issues at hand. Discotheques had become popularized for creating safe party spaces and playing musical work that had previously been banned by the Nazi German regime. So the Nazi Germany regime had banned cultural activities to exclude Jewish composers and anything promoting anti-national values. This is what the Nazis had called degenerate music. This included 
music by Jewish composers, American jazz, swing, bebop music, or what they would call, quote, Negroid excesses in tempo. Discos were a safe haven for oppressed people to express a flamboyant sense of fun. By the early 70s, the concept and culture of disco had made its way to the U.S. While straight people could freely and safely meet pretty much anywhere they wanted, like schools, work, the gym, gays were much more limited. If you were gay and you wanted to meet other gays, you generally had to use the cruising and or sex scene. So this meant going to acknowledged gay areas, discreetly located parks, toilets, or the club scene. So as we saw in Europe, the liberation movement of repressed groups, including gays, created a very radical way of expression through the disco club scene. And there were increasingly visible gay communities in big cities like Miami, New York, and Philadelphia. It became a pretty common story for rural gay men to want to move to the big city in order to find like-minded people. Drag bars and gay dance nights were becoming more accessible. And these clubs were safe havens for gays to go dance in peace and away from public scrutiny. Around this time, the first rock and roll generation in the U.S. became more prominent in these grungy, rough-and-tumble bars and taverns. While in some ways, rock and roll artists had this reputation for being social outcasts, it wasn't really to the same degree of adversities that queers were experiencing. So there wasn't a safe scene for gays in these macho rock scenes. So as we saw in Europe, disco has its roots in the underground club scene particularly for African-Americans, gays, and Latinos who were longing for something other than rock music. For them, disco clubs became the pulse of gay liberation. Frankie Knuckles was an American producer and DJ, most well-known for popularizing, if not inventing, the electronic music genre called house music. Born in New York City in 1955, Frankie grew up during the early days of disco. He started his 40-year career in the 70s in New York City. As mentioned before, gays were trying to move to the city as they had heard that there were safe places to dance and socialize with others like them. So Knuckles provided entertainment in these clubs by DJing and operating lights. In 1977, one of his good friends moved to Chicago and opened a new dance club called The Warehouse. The Warehouse, or House for short, became the namesake of Frankie's innovative mixing style that would become known as house music today. In the music documentary, How House Music Was Born... Frankie's associates and patrons talk about his unique DJing style. House music at that time, it was anything that Frankie Knuckles would play at the warehouse, which was the coolest underground dance music. Some groups you wouldn't hear anywhere else except for the warehouse, yeah. which is what you know what you would crave. Like I only heard that song here. You'd have Europe and Philadelphia and New York all playing on the same dance floor. No matter what style of music it was, if it fit into the set, it worked. So you heard all sounds, textures in the course of the night. Some of the records were too short. So Frankie would mess with them and have two copies and make them longer and also like play the breakdown twice or play the best part a couple of times or skip the shitty part. He didn't just mix a couple of records. He brought in a whole new style of music. That's something. Frankie was known for having this mixing style that used soulful indie vocals, European synth disco rhythms, and urban sound effects. But he is a producer, not a singer. So this next song is a collaboration and one of the hallmarks in his catalog. Written and sung by Jamie Principal, this high-pitched, gender-vague vocal with this slithering, sensual, bouncy bass line has made this song one of the most enduring of the 80s house movement. 
This is Your Love by Frankie Knuckles and Jamie Principal on Trinity Radio.
That was Frankie Knuckles, Your Love, featuring the vocals of Jamie Principal. Though Frankie produced several songs featuring Jamie, that one was certainly their signature. Frankie Knuckles described house music as disco's revenge. On Saturday nights, the warehouse drew in a crowd of around 500 patrons, primarily gay black and gay Latino men. Eventually, in an effort to protect its patrons from violence and discrimination, the warehouse became a private membership-only establishment. Over time, these renegade and private gay clubs become more formalized. Owners were willing to invest money into maintaining these spaces, and discos that catered to heterosexual people began to open up across the country. The music certainly diffused into the mainstream. As the inventor of house music, few figures in contemporary music have influenced their fields the way Frankie Knuckles has. He had catalyzed the inclusion of gays in the club scene and revolutionized dance music forever. His constant fundraising for some charities that deal with AIDS, homelessness, and education of our youth garnered him one of the most prestigious honors by the city of Chicago. On August 25, 2004, the mayor of Chicago proclaimed the date Frankie Knuckles Day and named a street after him called Frankie Knuckles Way. As a remixer, Knuckles lent his talents to some of R&B and pop music's elites, such as Michael Jackson, Janet Jackson, Luther Vandross, Diana Ross, and more. He became the first Grammy recipient for Remixer of the Year and has been affectionately dubbed the godfather of house music. If you've got a big mouth, you might as well use it for something good. Famous words by our next featured activist, Cindy Lauper. Born in 1953, Cindy Lauper is an American new wave singer, songwriter, actress, and activist. Cindy has won two Grammys, plus 16 nominations, an MTV Music Award, and has been recognized by Rolling Stone, VH1, and MTV for music videos, music, and activism. Due to her success and influence, Lauper has been inducted into both the Hollywood and Songwriters Hall of Fame. Cindy was the first female artist to have a debut album with multiple top five hits on the Billboard Hot 100, including this feminist anthem from 1983. This is Cindy Lauper, Girls Just Want to Have Fun, on Trinity Radio.
<laughs> a little secret about that song you just heard, Girls Just Wanna Have Fun, was actually written by a man. In 1979, Robert Hazard wrote the song in response to his parents' urges to find a girlfriend, but he defended himself saying, no, girls just want to have fun. It may sound pro-women's choice, but the song's actually kind of a pity party. It has these contrived wails and whiny vocals. Lopper's version of Girls Just Want to Have Fun came out on her 1983 debut record, She's So Unusual. So rather than being a pity party over some guitar, the track became a synthesized backed anthem from a feminist perspective. With these new flavors, Lopper's trying to convey the point that all women really want is to have the same experiences that men can have. Making a statement like girls just want to have fun, but with this playful kind of flamboyant romp made this a feminist anthem. In October 2022, Cindy Lauper sat with the broadcast station MSNBC to share her thoughts on feminism and women's rights. You know, the people that say they're not feminists, I want them to take a step back and understand. In the 70s, you couldn't even have a credit card unless it was in your husband's name or your father. You couldn't go into the schools to become a broadcaster because you're still second-class citizen, which is what we're rolling back to now, which is why we need to stand up as 50% of the population to say, you don't want big government? Me neither. I don't think the government should be governing my body. Mm. See, when you don't have control over your own body, then you are a second-class citizen, no more than a sheep. And the government has control over your body. So I'm standing here now, and I say no, not acceptable in any way, shape, or form. Cindy has this really fun, colorful sense of style. This and her collection of pop classics have resonated with the feminist movement and LGBTQ community. But she's also dedicated her entire career to activism. Most notably, Cindy Lauper founded the True Colors Fund, which is this colossal nonprofit devoted to educating people on LGBTQ issues and ending homelessness for this population. This nonprofit was developed in response to some alarming statistics. According to the National Coalition of Homeless, up to 40% of homeless youth identify as LGBTQ, while the general youth population is only 10% LGBTQ. 26% of these queer youth report being forced out of their homes solely because of their sexual orientation or gender identity. In 2011, Lopper developed two buildings called the True Color Residences. These were the first permanent housing structures in history built just for LGBTQ youth. The facility offers temporary shelter and job placement help. And in 2022, Cindy Lopper also launched the Girls Just Want to Have Fundamental Rights Fund. Her mission is to support organizations in fighting for the right to reproductive health care. To experience more Cindy Lauper, check out her Spotify. She has curated a public playlist called the Cindy Lauper Pride Playlist. It has three hours of drag brunch hits, high-energy disco, pop, and dance anthems. You can also read more about the True Colors United Project on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Trinity Radio. The 70s and 80s were revolutionary because these eras saw a rise in exposure of the gay community in music. Artists like Frankie Knuckles and Cyndi Lauper promoted positivity and equality in their industries. And in the 1980s, another revolutionary innovation would change feminism, gender representation, and queerness in music forever. On August 1st, 1981, 
a little girl in red overalls appeared on television. She was sitting by her radio when this animation appeared, a man in his microphone. She smiled as he serenaded her words from the song, Video Killed the Radio Star. This is the moment, 12.01 a.m., when the 24-hour music TV channel called MTV was launched. The magic of MTV was that musical messages would now come to life with visuals. Slowly, the LGBTQ community became a unique industry music genre. You can easily see this in Cyndi Lauper's True Colors, Madonna's Vogue, Culture Club, Frankie Goes to Hollywood, and The Village People, or in some songs like this next feature. Small Town Boy is a song by the British synth-pop band Bronski Beat. Released in 1984, it was the first single from their debut album, The Age of Consent. The lead vocalist, Jimmy Somerville, who's known in particular for his powerful and soulful falsetic singing voice, tells the tale of a man who runs away from home in pursuit of love and to live his truth. This is Bronski Beat, Small Town Boy on Trinity Radio. Bronski beats Small Town Boy. Small Town Boy is from 1984, a very important time for gays. The narrative music video features band member Jimmy Somerville as a boy who's experienced the issues described in the lyrics. Another fun fact, the music video for Small Town Boy is directed by a man named Bernard Rose. 
Bernard Rose is the same director of the music video Relax by Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Relax is a very openly risque gay music video. In an interview with Yahoo Music, Bernard Rose talks about how groundbreaking it was at the time for both Bronski Beat and Frankie Goes to Hollywood to be openly gay. He says, quote, there were a lot of artists in the 80s who were gay but not open about it, like Boy George, George Michael, Freddie Mercury, and Elton John. These are people who now, today, we think have always been out, but they weren't out in 1984, and they were all at the height of their fame. Frankie Goes to Hollywood were really the first ones to come out, and they were like, yeah, we're gay, relaxes, super deliberately provocative, full of leather and bondage gear, and it caused this shockwave. But Bronski's approach was a lot more politicized, more serious. I have an interview clip with Jimmy Somerville that he did for this Dutch TV station called Top 2000 Agogo, where he tells the story behind the song. It was kind of about me and my sexuality and me as maybe growing up. But I think also people, there's a lot of people who feel that they don't want to be trapped in the communities that they grew up in. They don't want the people who have told them all their life what to do and how to do it. It could be related to, to anybody's situation and not just about being gay. And that was the most important thing because, I mean, everyone knew, it's like, you know, we didn't make any secrets about our sexuality, but we didn't want it to seem like it was too gay. Although the part in the swimming pool is incredibly gay. <laughs> Especially that big orange robe. <laughs> All of the members of Bronski Beat were openly gay, and the words to their songs reflect this. They comment on issues such as anti-gay prejudice, violence, humiliation, and public health. In fact, if you took the record for Age of Consent and checked out the inner sleeve, the band listed various ages of consent between gay couples and straight couples in different nations around the world. For example, in the UK, where they were from, the age of consent for straights was 16, while for gays, it was 21. They expand by listing the age of consent for almost every country in the world, and when you saw it written down, the discrimination was astonishing. Continuing to move through time, let's step into the 1990s. Meryl Nisker is a Canadian electroclash musician and producer, better known by her stage name, Peaches. Born in 1966, Meryl describes herself as a class clown, someone who took interest in creative performance, directing, art, and theater, something she shared in common with her mom. But Meryl's mom had more of a penchant for old entertainment shows, stuff from the 40s and 50s, and music hall stuff. One of Meryl's earliest memories in performing arts was a visit to Broadway, New York with her family. In these plays, Meryl would see women portrayed as very fragile and gentle, while men were often portrayed as the lead, the dominant figures. And Meryl would question, well, why can't I just be the lead? I don't see myself as particularly weak. So from this point, this is how Meryl's long-held descent for gender stereotypes formed. In the 90s, Meryl got her musical start as a folk artist. But her solo career in garage electronic music as Peaches took off in the 2000s. Gender identity is one theme of Peaches music, often playing with the traditional notions of gender roles and gender representation. What should a man look like? What should a woman look like? What should they wear? What shouldn't they wear? How should they sound? How should they sit, stand? Peaches may be best known for her really raunchy and sexually explicit track, Fuck the Pain Away. Most of her lyrics and live shows consciously blur the distinction between male and female. For example, on the cover of her album, Father Fucker, is a photo of Peaches wearing a full fluffy beard. Peaches disputes accusations of penis envy, preferring the term hermaphrodite envy, saying, quote, there is so much male and female in all of us, end quote. 
Here is one of those songs. From 2006, this is Peaches, Boys Wanna Be Her on Trinity Radio. Boys Want to Be Her by Peaches, off the 2006 album Impeach My Bush. The Bush in the title is in reference to George W. Bush, who was America's president from 2001 to 2009. In this decade, gay marriage and gay rights were a huge campaign point among those running for office. Issues were considered at the state and federal level. For example, there was the Don't Ask, Don't Tell policy, which prohibited openly gay people from serving in the military. If you were gay and wanted to serve, you had to be closeted. In this decade, same-sex marriage was still not legally recognized in the U.S., and same-sex partnerships had largely not received the same benefits as straight partnerships. 
In the last half of the decade, state courts began to review the constitutional basis of these laws, but the country was very divided. Nonetheless, we did see a shift, and gays were certainly more openly accepted than in the 60s and 70s. But queer issues were becoming more nuanced. There became more issues around gender affirmation surgery, reproductive issues among same-sex couples, and reclaiming of derogatory sex terms. What separates Peaches from the other artists mentioned to this point was that she doesn't necessarily fight for gay or lesbian rights or women's rights. Rather, Peaches challenges the purpose and motivation behind gender roles altogether. In this interview with Berlin Artlink, Peaches describes some of her logic. I am a feminist. I tried not to use that word for so long, but classic rock, it's funny the way, you know, women obviously are portrayed in certain songs. And I, I wanted to flip it around. All the time I feel like I'm sort of questioning what mainstream is doing. Why is it okay to say tap that ass in a song and you're talking about, you know, a, a woman, but you can't say like tap that dick or something, you know what I mean? Or why can't you say shake your dick, but there's a million songs that say shake that booty, shake those titties. Shake your dick, shake your dick, shake your questioning whatever's going on and, and trying to flip it around, you know, calling my album Father Fucker because the use of the word motherfucker all the time. When you flip it around, what do people think and how do they um, reevaluate words and, and actions? You know, just things that are mainstream that, that actually shouldn't be mainstream because they're not really even. Peaches recently announced that she's working on her seventh studio album. To keep up with it all, go to Peaches' website. That's teachesofpeaches.com. With the 70s, we started with this bouncy, soulful disco and house. And 80s, we had this really radical new wave and synth pop. But this is really, first and foremost, a dark music podcast. And this next feature is here to bring it all back into the dark side. Light Asylum is a Brooklyn-based electronic music project from Shannon Funchess. Her music is heavily influenced by the 80s and incorporates elements of dark wave, synth pop, and post-punk. Shannon is openly queer, but she has emphasized in multiple interviews that her music is not meant to alienate any group of people. Instead, Shannon describes her music as being targeted to the underground, the punks. Shannon grew up listening to punk music, and in the 80s, it was all about politics. Punk rock was often associated with a certain anti-establishment philosophy that challenged mainstream systems. Our next song is called IPC. IPC refers to something called the prison industrial complex. According to this concept, incarceration is not just an element of the justice system. There are actually private prisons that benefit off of the cheap labor of inmates, and the system subsidizes companies in charge of the construction, food services, and medical facilities involved with these prisons. Like the Stonewall Inn, the concept is a corrupt system. But on to the song. If you can hear past this awesome danceable beat, try to listen to the lyrics as well. This is IPC.
That was IPC by Light Asylum. Again, IPC refers to the prison industrial complex, the concept that our prison system can be financially commercialized. So in private prisons, the financial business model is contingent upon incarcerating more and more people. And in here, you have queer women that make up about 30% of this population and men about 6%. Though that's a minority, many LGBTQ inmates tend to stay closeted in prison because those who are known or perceived as gay have the highest risk for sexual abuse. Most U.S. prisons have a policy of housing prisoners according to their sex assigned at birth, regardless of their current gender identity or appearance. Transgender women with breasts may be locked up with men, and transgender men put in women's prisons also have a high rate of abuse, mainly from guards. As I mentioned, although Shannon is openly queer, she has expressed that Light Asylum is not meant to really emphasize on just gay issues. But regardless of the issue at hand, overall, the song has this anti-establishment stance. Now, this is a matter of opinion, and not to speak for Shannon specifically, but to live in the intersection of multiple minority groups, so queer, black, and living in an alternative lifestyle, one experiences a certain degree of unique adversities. In this YouTube special with the channel Style Like You, Shannon describes how her upbringing informed her edgy music and lifestyle. This is what she had to say. I was aware that I just wasn't like stereotypical femme female. My voice was lower, my arms were really, I don't wanna say built, but the, you know, it's just like naturally like my body was structure, so I was really like self-conscious about it. It wasn't something I was embracing as a teenager because teenagers are awkward and cruel. I don't think that there's a lot of positive imagery out there, but for me, it wasn't like my mom was like, you know, you don't have to try to be those women, like be yourself. It was me being like, I am so depressed. I have to stop looking at this stuff. So I just stopped looking at magazines because I was like, I'm not white, I'm not 6'1", I'm never gonna be, I'm not like this this body shape, whatever, da da da, unrealistic, photoshopped thing. All this music that I grew up with, listening to, dancing to, loving, like helped me through so many, you know, so much darkness of growing up as a teenager and feeling outside of the norm and like not wanting to conform and stuff. Why would I make anything else? I mean, I'm an artist and I'm a performer, so I, you know, can't really perform without an audience, but at the same time, I just like hope that they like it, you know, and, or don't like it as long as um, people feel something. I just want to make art that people can feel. In a similar light, Shannon cites the American model, singer, and actress Grace Jones as one of her most important influences. In an interview with music journalist Elgara, Shannon states, quote, Grace Jones is the greatest of all time, hands down. First woman of African descent to be visible in the 80s world of mainstream music that would become an early role model of androgyny and unapologetic, arresting, staged and non-staged antics, end quote. This makes a lot of sense to me because Shannon is a born performer, really fearless on stage. If you ever get a chance to see Light Asylum live, I 10 out of 10 recommend. Light Asylum has recorded and toured with a number of goth and electronic acts like Peaches, LCD Sound System, Clan of Zymox, and TV on the Radio. You can also support Shannon on Bandcamp by purchasing merch and sharing with your friends. 
You're listening to Trinity Radio. The evolution of language around gender identity is becoming more and more commonplace with people specifying pronouns or declaring themselves as non-binary genders altogether. But it's not without controversy, especially from those who don't want to be relabeled. This brings us into our next act. Drab Majesty is an ethereal, intergalactic post-punk band created by Andrew Klinko and Alex Niccolo. Although Drab Majesty's songs are written and played exclusively by the gender-neutral alter egos Deb Demure and Mona D. So Deb and Mona, imagine these two pale Roman statues dressed with modern fashion. They've got these white wigs, oversized sunglasses, and alabaster theatrical makeup. The result is this balance between masculine and feminine, high and low, the drab and the divine. Our next song is called Oxytocin. Oxytocin refers to a hormone present in both male and female reproductive systems. Oxytocin coordinates functions of romantic attachment, parent-infant bonding, trust, and connection. This is Oxytocin by Drab Majesty on Trinity Radio.
That was Oxytocin by Drab Majesty. Deb and Mona have stated that they viewed the body as a sort of cheap suitcase, a flush vehicle. Now, speaking as myself, Cheshireen, I don't want to discount the amount of emotional and financial investment people put in their bodies and trying to live in a body that they're happy with. But as Deb states, the ceremonial garb is a way for them to get away from themselves because they don't want the song to say, written by Andrew Klinko. Deb and Mona are more than just genderless. Not someone, not somebody, not something. In this interview with the Utero Project, Deb and Mona go into more depth about their alter egos. To forget the idea that people are using their eyes to absorb this vibration on stage would would be uh, it would be a big shortcoming of the live show. So, like perhaps the uh, outfit and the the artistic decision in this is happens consciously. The performance is very conscious. This particular garb that we wear in various tours allows us to perform outside of ourselves allows us to forget to remember oh the tattoos on our arms or the you know the normal clothes we were wearing that day in the van you know to 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 fully shift makes for a much more um, meditative experience for us which eventually translates back to you deb and mona have made the realization that the stage costume needs to stay on stage and when they're off stage, they go back to being regular people. Because there's a rift being on stage in garb yet out of character. On the stage, there's this sort of mythology and it needs to stay on stage. Otherwise, off stage, it's kind of like seeing Barney have a cigarette outside. Again, speaking as Cheshireen, I want to be sensitive to those who might experience body dysphoria. You know, unlike a costume, we can't escape our own skin. Um, but this philosophy does point to the concept that there is an inner you some of which can be divided from your shell. And as my dark alternative gems, much of our lives will face much judgment about how we look, what we wear, our shapes and sizes. Your creativity is what makes you you. And that certainly comes from within. There are a few ways to support Deb and Mona. Their website, drabmajestymaterial.com. You can buy merch directly, compact mirrors, buttons, vinyl, and apparel. You can also follow them on Instagram to keep up with music videos, art, and show announcements. Finally, visit their Bandcamp for messages to fans and to purchase digital music. You're listening to Trinity Radio. Dark Rainbows, today we have traveled through six decades of the evolution of queers and gender portrayal in music. And now we bring it to the present day, 2023. Our next feature is very special. This is our first guest on Trinity Radio and a very, very worthy one. From Oakland, California, Christina is an activist, DJ, and friend of her community. By day, she works for a nonprofit dedicated to the advancement of women, girls, and gender-expansive individuals in music production. By night, Christina is the host of Hot Goth Girlfriend, a radio and live show experience that showcases femme and queer artists. Christina is here to talk to us today about how she's stepping out of the traditional goth club space and is shaping new territory for a new generation of artists. Christina, welcome. Outside of nightlife and your radio show, what do you spend your time doing? Well, I work at a nonprofit, work nine to five, uh, and that takes up a lot of my time. But it's a nonprofit in San Francisco that um, empowers women and gender expansive people towards audio engineering, like training and career opportunities and stuff like that. 
really love um, porting that mission. And it's like just really awesome to see the people that come through those programs, you know, like women and queer and trans people who like want to learn skill and be exist in this industry where it is so white male dominated even still today. Um, cool. And, and that does paint more color into why I feel like you're you have authority on the topic that we're speaking on. I wanted to learn more about like the space you're trying to create. What is your niche? Who is your niche? Who likes to come out? And what is the overall vibe that you're trying to curate? Yeah, I am queer. Uh, I'm lesbian and I'm like mixed Latina. So those are the communities that I care about the most. You know, my priority is always uplifting women and femme people in music uh, and especially in these dark genres like goth and punk and industrial and electronic, you know, like that's what I love. I'm kind of tired. I don't really care about seeing like a band of like four white guys playing music. And especially in these moody genres, I'm just kind of like, you're whining. What are you whining about? <laughs> I like, I don't really care. <laughs> when brown women use their voices and especially when they use their voices not to be polite, not to sing sweetly, but like to really like talk shit about your experiences, the hardship. I care about, I want to hear that. Like I want, I care about what they're saying. And I also am so inspired by seeing brown women on stage. And that extends to queer people too. Like the adversity that queer people face to show themselves, to be visible, takes so much more than any other person, you know? So started booking shows. I was just like, yeah, there's enough promoters that are booking femme-fronted bands, dude bands, white bands, whatever. I don't need to do that. There's enough of that. So I'll just dedicate my project to featuring femme artists of color, women, trans artists, because I'm like, that's what I want to see more of. Mm -hmm. What you're saying reminds me of this David Bowie interview I came across. It was like 1983, I think. And it was David Bowie talking about how he doesn't feel like anyone makes original music anymore, except rap artists, specifically black rap artists. And his logic behind that was like, whenever we hear rock nowadays, as it's evolved, as all art evolves, it takes prior influences, but it really is rooted in a lot of black music, whether that was jazz or soul or funk mm -hmm. and black rock. And then, you know, it, we kind of just like put it in different clothing um, and then it became popularized through like a bunch of white guys for the most part. Um, mm -hmm. But from his point of view was like, well, that music, it was inspired by real oppression and music was an outlet. I mean, sometimes I hear like modern post-punk songs and I love post-punk, but I, I can't even tell when it was made anymore. <laughs> and I don't really identify yeah, I know with what you mean. Like, yeah, a lot of the like some uh, that's what I feel about a lot of like the dark wave bands. I mean, finding mm -hmm. diverse artists, like artists from different countries, artists that sing in different languages, artists that represent background that is more diverse than what we're so used to hearing. That's super important to me. And that is what also makes new music so interesting to me still. Mm -hmm. Someone I thought of, Solterra. They're <gasps> So yeah. fun. Um, they were opening. But oh, I saw the them. Sextile I was just, show, right? Yeah. yeah. They opened for Sextile. And then there was this one song that they made. It was like, she doesn't like men. And looking <laughs> around, it like half the audience is men. But like, That's like my favorite song. <laughs> that's, I know. It was so good. It's like bold and heartfelt. Yeah, that's one of my favorite of her songs. And it's cool because I see it differently. Like I don't see it as so bold. 
uh, I see it as just like her truth. And, you know, of course, her music is like the place to share your truth. And like, it makes sense. Like, she's queer. And like, when you exist under like cis heteropatriarchy, and all the bullshit that femmes have historically had to exist under, why would you want to like men, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and it's not like every individual man, Right, but it's right. like something really cool that I've really embraced as I've embraced my queer identity is like not centering men in my life. And I don't speak on behalf of all lesbians, but like existing and not doing things for male approval, not catering mm-hmm. to the male gaze mm-hmm. and just like not caring if men like you or not. So yeah, I, I think that's a really cool song and it's cool that you bring it up. Yeah, that's I love the way you phrase it was didn't necessarily see it as um, bold, but more so her truth. And as a performer, being confident enough to proclaim that truth. So many of us women can like make ourselves small, let everyone down nicely and whatever. And that gets exhausting. Yeah. I'm like a recovering people pleaser. (laughs) So as someone who throws parties, there is um, an element of usually pleasing your crowd. How do you go about finding the balance between throwing parties for like masses of people but also, you know, trying to create boundaries for any unwanted behavior and prejudice and um, discrimination. Um, well, I do like to share like my community guidelines on like the Instagram page. And also I put up notices in every venue that I throw an event at. And it says, like, if anyone's making you uncomfortable, please let the venue staff know and the venue staff will deal with the person directly. And if your abuser is at this event, please let the venue staff and security know and they will be removed immediately. And I also always provide um, Narcan at the bar as well. And that's all just like to keep people safe. I don't want people to attend the event that wouldn't be comfortable with those guidelines. I want the queer and trans and femme people and their friends and the people that love them. I want that audience to feel the most included and welcomed and supported because all of my events are for them. I love when the audience is a mix of people, but I want everyone in those spaces to be aware that like, if you are an ally, if you are a cis hetero like man or, you know, a white person, like be aware of the space that you take up, you know, maybe if it's a packed show, like don't be all up in the front or like if there's a mosh pit, like let the people mosh or just whatever it is. Don't be rude. Don't be transphobic. Don't be racist. Don't be homophobic. Yeah, those values are important to me. And so if like not catering to the mass mass audience does kind of help weed out anyone who might act up or whatever, like people kind of know, I guess, the vibe, which I think is good. That is a really great answer. Thank you. Um, And so another thing that can come up too is this concept of gatekeeping. And I think that particularly can apply to people who are maybe new to the subculture in general. Um, you familiar with that term like gatekeeping for like gatekeeping posers, for example? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So what is, what is your take on that? Is, is that something that matters in your scene or is it more so about creating just a place for people to be happy, like regardless of what their actual interests are? Like, because on, on the other hand is, of course, we want to be open 
to everyone who might be interested or just exploring. But what can also happen too is I think some people are more so coming out for like the spectacle of the experience and that can unintentionally extend your promotion to the masses without you necessarily doing so. Like someone shares a story of this place and then before you know it, like you're not in control of your own marketing anymore. So is that ever something like you've had to navigate? Like someone coming up to your event and you being like, you don't look like you belong here or another promoter making that judgment call? There's definitely times when I see like, for example, like if a guy's kind of creeping on femmes at my event, I'm like, how did you end up here? Like, what? Um, so in that way, like, yeah, I oh, I do really want to find strategies and ways of like cultivating an audience that I care about. And so finding ways to dissuade creeps from coming is definitely um, one of my priorities. But I don't really think I have a say on like posers. I haven't really even been in this music community long enough. I'm like, yeah, if everyone had the attitude of like, who the fuck are you? then like, it would have been way less of a fun time for me. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, yeah, I, I really like the inclusive vibe. And, you know, I think there's enough like trad goth community spaces. And I like to participate in those. Um, and those spaces can be a little more gatekeepy to like queer or brown people or just like people who maybe haven't been goth their whole life or like whatever. Someone right. could feel right. like not a part of that space. I don't really care to recreate that. I would rather someone be like, oh, I love rave music. I love dark shit. Oh, no. there's this goth night. Let me try it out. Oh, I can paint my face. Fuck yeah, that's fun. I love drag. Let me go out and dress up and dance. And then maybe they'll come again. And then maybe they'll find a band they like. Like, whatever. I don't really. Yeah, I'm like down to be people's like safe space to explore stuff they like. I really feel like you are setting up this community for a new generation of artists and your unique perspectives are not only interesting, but I think eye-opening for how other promoters and attendees can contribute to this space and this important cause. Well, I'm so stoked to listen to this episode and like hear your selections and your commentary on like the queer history of like dark wave. And I also just want to say thank you so much for like reaching out to me. And I'm like super stoked on our cute little connection and like little friendship from San Diego to San Francisco. And I just like love seeing other people doing their thing. So it's so cute. Thank you for having me. And I yeah. am honored. Oh, I'm, I'm, gosh, you've been like the best first guest. Again, Hot Goth Girlfriend is an Oakland-based radio show that airs every second Sunday night from 8.30 to 10.30 p.m. on Lower Grand Radio. The channel features music selections, artist interviews, and guest mixes by femme and queer artists and locals from the Bay Area. To stay hip with these trends, follow Hot Goth Girlfriend Radio on Instagram at hotgothgfradio. They'll share show announcements, club night flyers, and artist spotlights. They also promote set lists from their radio show, which you can listen to on their Mixcloud. For our final feature, I wanted to showcase a game changer, someone who embodies many aspects of the queer and femme revolution described to this point. Soltera is the experimental dance music project of Colombian-American artist Tanya Ordonez. Tanya grew up in the San Fernando Valley. 
home to many backyard shows where all of her greatest music inspirations stem from. In 2018, she started producing music on her own with borrowed synthesizers and drum machines from her friends, soon creating her own sounds. This music is heavily influenced by techno and house, melding with punk. Tanya is also a filmmaker, DJ, and co-runs an underground LA-based label and collective called Casateca. To dig deeper into these projects, I found this thorough interview on Document Journal written by Mallory Bea. The name soltera comes from the term that refers to widowed or divorced women in Colombia. The term translates to without a man, and it's a radical status to hold. According to Tanya, it's rare and a big deal for Latino women to leave their men. It's a commitment to being autonomous, and it doesn't happen very often. Tanya's father passed away in 2015, and she and her mom had to relearn how to navigate a social and financial ecosystem alone. Soltera was once a derogatory term, and to many, it might still be one. But this also afforded the family a new life and identity. Alas, the musical project was born. Tanya's intention with Soltera is to create a cathartic experience where many people can come together to dance and let go. From her EP, Sin Compromiso, this is My Heart is for Who on Trinity Radio. That was Soltera, My Heart is for Who. The hellish, arpeggiated bassline and commanding vocals points to this very fiery force within Tanya. She's not asking for what she wants. Instead, she's demanding it. Tanya grew up in a place called Grenada Hills, a town that was a little bit poor and in the vicinity of more posh, wealthy establishments. And Grenada Hills didn't have a music scene of its own. To see shows, Tanya would venture out of the neighborhood and go hang out with people in bands, but these were mostly very male-centered acts, and she didn't identify as being part of their community. Uh, in fact, she says she felt excluded. But Tanya later made friends who were also musicians, photographers, DJs, and multifaceted artists. With all this energy and talent and nowhere to place it, 
the friends made this DIY artistic collective and label called Casa Teca. In an interview with Grimy Goods, Tanya states, quote, Casa Teca comes from a place of feeling exiled. We were all really exiled in our own way, and we never really fit into a certain type of scene. And also, the way that the music industry works is that you're either extremely wealthy and white or extremely attractive and know somebody so you can get ahead. But my friends were just not really about any of that. Casateca is this universe where we can do whatever we want. We include our friends in music videos, make music videos for them, and uplift each other. At my shows, I do feel that sense of community. All the shows are super POC, first-generation queers, and valley kids. And I do feel like people resonate with what I'm representing. It's always my goal to make people feel included in some kind of way and to come up together, end quote. That was beautiful and the, the perfect message to close out this episode. In a world where there's so much artifice and commercialization, projects like Soltera and Casateca are among the genuine. Although money is not the primary driver behind these projects, all talent requires time, energy, equipment, practice, and travel to get the word out. So to support these projects, consider going to their band camps. There's Soltera, it's S-O-L-T-E-R-A, or Casateca, that's C-A-S-A slash T-E-C-A. From there, you can access all of their social media accounts. And then on Instagram, there are visuals, music, and glimpses into the creative process and tour announcements. Trinity Radio. In respect to queer identities, the political and social landscape continues to shift, sometimes moving forward, sometimes moving backward. A driving factor in this shift is queer artists and activists who use their platforms to continue to advocate for queer rights. Artists like Frankie Knuckles, Cindy Lauper, Bronski B, Peaches, Soltera, and Hot Goth Girlfriend Radio can share their personal stories and help create a space in the music industry for listeners to identify with. In addition to making music, there are other ways that we can make an impact on the world. The way we live, vote, shop, protest, discuss, and share have influence on what social problems get attention. And that's a wrap on today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. For more from this podcast, please connect with me on Instagram at trinity.xm. I'll share supplemental images and more tidbits that didn't quite make it into the episode today. We'll be back next month for episode six. 